0: Good morning. My name is Dwayne. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today is August the fifth. We're going to begin our study today in uh, Acts chapter number fourteen. So, if we have our Bibles, let's open them up to Acts chapter number fourteen, and I believe we're going to get up get in around verse number nineteen. Um. Let's see if we can finish chapter 14 today. (laughs) Then some of the Jews came to Antioch and Iconium and won won the crowd over, and they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Now, these were the unbelieving Jews that had followed Paul. Um, They had a hatred for him, um, and they persuaded the people. Um, Now, We've already talked about how that uh, in regards to the stoning, uh, Paul appears to be referring to this in Second Corinthians chapter 12 when he gives his testimony, and he says during this time he received some visions and revelations about 14 years ago um, in regards to when he was caught up to the third heaven. So we've talked about how there's three heavens, you know, there's the, you know, the atmosphere where the birds are, and then there's the planets and the stars and then the abode of God. And Paul says that 14 years ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he was caught up to this third heaven, whether in the body, or out of the body, he didn't know. In other words, he didn't know if he was dead or alive. And we believe he's referring to this stoning experience here in Acts chapter number 14. And then we're going to get down today into verse number 20. But after the disciples had gathered unto, but after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby, and they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, and they were strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must, through many hardships, enter the kingdom of God, they said. You know, I'm not reading out of the KJV. I got that switched over. Um, It didn't sound exactly the same. Um, Through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. Now, I can't help but notice that he gets stoned. (laughs) He gets dragged outside the city. He gets up. And he turns around and he goes right back into the very place that he was stoned. And we talked about last time, this is the difference between a burden and a call. The safest place a child of God can be is in the will of God. The most dangerous place a child of God can be is out of the will of God. Now, my next question, this is the one I told you to read up on. Notice at the end of verse number 22, he says, it says he was confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Now, these are the converts that he and Barnabas had preached to that had accepted the gospel of grace. And then he says, and that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Now, the question is, why did Paul say we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God? And it's a subject of debate. Um, there's no doubt that Paul here, especially in this early part of his ministry, is speaking to both Jew and Gentile. He is speaking to believing Jews and unbelieving Jews and believing and unbelieving Gentiles. It's a mixed group. Um, so when he says, we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Now we've already established that the kingdom was offered to the nation of Israel. Uh, the king came proclaiming the kingdom, uh, John the Baptist first words, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of God. Our kingdom of heaven is nigh or or close. Jesus came saying the same words. Jesus commissioned the the 12 to preach the same words. Uh, he came to legitimately offer them the kingdom. I mean, he told them if, if John the Baptist could have been Elijah, if you would have listened to him and not killed him, he, the kingdom was legitimately offered. Now, unlike many and myself previously would, would have said or do say, the kingdom was rejected at the moment they crucified their Messiah. Well, that's not the case at all. They had to crucify their Messiah. They had to unwittingly, unknowingly fulfill the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, We've already talked about that. So if the kingdom was not offered and rejected at the crucifixion, when was it? It was offered and rejected in Acts chapter number 2 of Pentecost. Peter had been given the keys to offer them the kingdom. And then they began to reject it. Peter preached once. Peter preached twice. And understand, it required a national repentance. It did not require an individual repentance. Uh, Whether it be 2,000 that were saved at the first time Peter preached, another 5,000 at the second time Peter preached, that is still far short of the national repentance that was required. The entire nation had to repent and be baptized and be filled with the Holy Ghost. They had to accept the offer of the kingdom as a nation. Now, well, that means all one hundred percent of them, or the vast majority of them. You know, I would probably lean toward the vast majority of them, but that didn't happen. The kingdom and the king were rejected. So, the question is. Why is Paul saying we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of heaven? Because I submit to you two possible reasons. Uh, Number one, he had not as yet received the revelation in regards to the complete plan for the body of Christ, the rapture. He didn't know anything about the rapture. Uh, Again, there's no doubt that he is referring to a future physical fraternal kingdom that had been promised to the Jews. And he says, we must, through much tribulation, enter into this kingdom. One teacher said, since the revelation of the mystery concerning the rapture of the church had not yet been revealed to Paul, the Jewish believers were still expecting the kingdom to come at any moment. And you have to put yourself in Paul's shoes. Uh, He received the revelation of the mystery, which was simply the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was to take that message to the Gentile. And, of course, Paul took it to the Gentile and the Jew. Every city he went into, he went to the synagogue, and he preached this gospel. Um, But Paul hadn't received everything. Um, matter of fact, as of this moment here, we're around 48, 50, 15 years after Pentecost. Uh, the book of James had already been written. Um, Matthew, Mark, I believe, had already been written, um, but he had not written uh, about the mystery or, or the or the rapture of the church himself. So, obviously. I believe Paul just had no, uh, no the, while the revelation, the mystery, the grace gospel had been revealed to him, he did not know the full revelation in regards to the future of the body of Christ and the rapture. So some would say that Paul meant exactly what he said. He believed that, you know, the the. The second coming was imminent. He had just been called to share the gospel of grace with the Gentiles. Um, And because that was the plan. I mean, that was the prophetic plan was that um, the nation of Israel would repent. And then they would go into Daniel's 70th week. Um, Daniel's the tribulation period. And at the end of the tribulation period, the second coming would happen. And... The kingdom would be restored. Paul was still on that timeline. The only difference is he had been told to go to the Gentiles, while the twelve was still going to the Jews. So they were both they were both working both sides of the line, if you will. But he was still expecting um, the second coming and the kingdom. Um, he hadn't been given that revelation yet about the rapture. Um, Again, that's one of possibly two reasons why Paul said that. Uh, The second reason Paul might have said this is it's an issue with pronouns. Notice that he says, we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Um, The point is that he could have been referring to Jews only in this statement. Um, And bear in mind, he's speaking to a mixed audience. He is speaking to, no doubt, Jews that had accepted uh, the message of the gospel of the kingdom. And, of course, he's speaking to Gentiles, to which he's offering the gospel of grace to. Um, So, when in his speech, he uses pronouns. So, when he says, we, some writers say, He's referring to the Jews, identifying himself as a Jew, which Paul was a Jew, okay? Um, Because uh, down in verse number 19, or look uh, look up verse number 19, and there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stolen Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. Howbeit as the disciples stood around him, he rose up, came into the city and departed. Now notice he's he's dealing with Jews at this moment. So maybe when he says, we here, we here, he's referring to the Jews. Um, it can make sense, if, like I said, if we understand that at this point in time, we have both kingdom and grace believers in the same place. And Paul is addressing both. Therefore, when he says we, he could be referring to the kingdom believers only, with that statement. Now, when we get down in verse number 23, the next verse, and when they had ordained them elders in every city, notice it goes to them. When they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So maybe there's a, a, it's a difference of we and they. We is referring to the kingdom believers. They is referring to the grace believers. We being the kingdom believers, which would be the Jews. They being those who were grace believers, both Jew and Gentile. So anyway, it's just a unique period of time. There's two possible reasons why Paul said it. Number one, he had just not received the completed revelation of the mystery in regards to the rapture of the church. He, like the other Jews, was still looking. In other words, it was a the the revelation didn't come all at once. It came to him piecemeal, if you will. The only thing he knew at this point was he had been called Gentiles, but did not fully comprehend that God's prophetic plan had already was being changed and that the second coming and the kingdom was postponed. Or, like I said, it's the pronouns. Um, He's talking to the Jewish believers that are there and referring to the kingdom for them, not the Gentile believers who were there. So, just something to think about. I don't think it's that complicated, but we just don't know for sure. Um, And again, you know, I can only compare Scripture with Scripture. But at the same time, we're just not going to read over and pretend like it's not there. And I do see people... Do that quite a bit. I've done it quite a bit myself in the past. Now notice the verse number 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and they had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now, these verses have become a bit controversial today in the realm of church leadership. Um, were they simply ordaining one elder in every church or were they ordaining multiple elders in every church? And there are two schools of thought in regards to that. Um, a lot of folks um, say that, you know, there's only uh, one pastor uh, who is the elder. He's the only one in the church. Um And some will say, no, there's a plurality of elders, and that seems to be kind of the fashionable trend today, going to (coughs) a plurality of the elder leadership in the church. Um, I do know that Paul, when giving instructions to Timothy, always referred to the singular elder. Uh, He never referred... To the plural, uh, he always referred to the singular. Um, let's look over there real quick. Uh, let's see. Here we go. I'm getting up my stuff here so we can see what we got going on here. Um, I know it's that part we're apt to teach, which is referring to uh, the elder. Yeah, a bishop, okay, here we go, in 1 Timothy 3, 2, um, let's look at this. This is a true saying, if a man desire the work of the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop, now that word bishop can be, is elder. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, husband of one life. A wife, vigilant, sober, and of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Um not given to wine, no streaker, no striker, not greedy, filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler. One that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For a man know not how, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, notice it's all in the singular. But when he gets down here, he says, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greed, greedy for filthy lucre. And let these also first be proved. So, Paul, when laying down the requirements for church leadership, mentions the elder in the singular, which some would say that indicates there's only one elder in the church. And there's a plurality of deacons uh, following the pattern set there in Acts chapter number six, even though we've talked how those were not deacons in the truest sense of the word deacon for the body of Christ today. So, but taking it all, First Timothy 5.17 um, says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Okay, nothing, no problem there. I mean, there's definitely an elder in every church, and there's more than one church, so there's nothing, no big deal there. But it says, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, that kind of opens the door to say, well, there obviously must be elders who do not labor in the word and doctrine. So that verse lends itself to the plural. Um, More than one elder in each church. So, again, there's, there's a little bit of disagreement in regards to church leadership. Um, how many elders should be in the church? And there are some that believe there should only be one. He's the pastor. Uh, everybody else, you know, they're deacons. And then some will say, no, there's a plurality of elders. You have some that are given to the labor in the word and doctrine and some that aren't. So so this verse, a bit controversial when you you start getting into church leadership. And then finally for today, we'll look at the word ordained. Notice it says here, and when they had ordained them elders in every church. The word ordained is kind of interesting. Um, Let's get back to uh, Acts chapter 14. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Uh, where it says, and they ordained, here in 1423. If you look in the Greek, and when they had ordained them elders, uh, the word ordained, notice uh, the Greek word there. I won't even try to pronounce it. It means to stretch, to be a hand reacher, a voter. That is to select or appoint, to choose, to ordain. So, The word, it seems to indicate here that they selected these elders based upon a raising of the hands. In other words, they voted for them. But who did that? Uh, They did. Who's they? The apostles. Um, And again, you can get into a little bit of controversy. A lot of Baptistic churches will let the entire church vote um, for deacons, especially, and even those who believe in a plurality of elders will sometimes let them vote for them. Again, there's just different forms of church government based upon how you translate it. Uh, Some, the elders choose the elders, and the congregation chooses the deacons. Well, there's no doubt that there was a choosing here based upon vote, by a raising of the hand or a, a signal uh, in regards to these elders. But in context, they is referring to the apostles chose these guys, not the congregation. So anyway, get off into a little bit of church leadership. You study that subject, you'll be dealing with verses like that. So next time we get together, we'll get down into verse number 24. God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day. Remember, God loves you, wants best for you. He's working all things out for your good.